this is your time. How can we earn twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good? That is our guiding question here at the Free Time Cafe, your home for heart-based business. I'm your host, Jenny Blake. Join me for conversations with authors, friends, and fellow business owners as we explore ways to free your mind, time, and team to do your best work. Now, on to today's show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am so delighted to be here today with my friend, Christopher Casey Carter. He is the founder of This Epic Life, a website devoted to conscious leadership. He has created a daily helped thousands of people create a daily meditation practice. He's a creator of the Four Permissions Framework, and today we are celebrating the launch of his new book, Permission to Glow, a spiritual guide to epic leadership. Casey, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so good to be with you again, Jenny. Looking forward to this. It's a dream. You and I had such a fun chat that aired on Pivot. I'll put it in the show notes. This is your inaugural chat here on Free Time. And I want to start by asking you, tell us about your love of mixtapes and how they can be a metaphor for our life. Oh, my God. Thank you for this question. Well, it's there, there's a reference in my book about, I, was, I think I was talking about the, the symbology of a pause button. And I've always, always used the pause button to teach meditation. You know, the pause is our conscious exit from the crazy train of all the noise around us. And when, when I got to kind of explore that in the book, um, one of my favorite films, High Fidelity, came to mind. And High Fidelity, the, the main character is played by John Cusack. And he ta- and it's a great book by Nick Hornby, for starters, but the, the movie's just hilarious. Like it's Jack Black at his best, John Cusack at his best. But he talks about the subtle art of making a mixtape for somebody. And it's, and then I started thinking it's not like dragging tracks into a playlist like some pampered savage. It's like really. That made me laugh so. Oh, yeah. It's like, because that's what what my teenagers and my kids do. You know, like, oh, I made you a playlist. It's like, well, will anybody actually listen to that or the whole songs, you know? But the intention of, you know, hitting record on one tape deck while you're pausing and unpausing the other tape deck to layer on those tracks. I mean, it's a highly intentional process because you're thinking about how that art segues into the next piece of art, what the lyrics say to that person, what the combinations uh, of songs say to that person. So, so yeah, the, the, I, I haven't made a mixtape in a little while. I'd have to dig out my tape decks, but I, <laughs> I, I could honestly say I have saved every mixtape from my entire life. It's in one yes. box in my basement. And I remember there's also patience involved. I remember waiting for just the right song to come on the radio so I could hit record. And in fact, my one time that I got on the radio, I called in and asked them to play Garth Brooks Thunder Rolls. (laughs) And they played it. They played me asking for it. And I remember like racing to the tape deck and hitting record. And oh, so this like capturing the favorite songs. And it is such a memory imprint, isn't it? When you listen to a mixtape, it just takes you right back. Oh, it does. I mean, even looking at them, like there, there's ones when, when, my li- when my wife and I, we've been married 22 years now, but when we were falling in love, it was kind of the tail end of the mixtape era and we were still rocking that old school thing. So I have mixtapes with her handwriting on them and just the names of the tapes like that she gave them brings me so much emotion. Mm. And so, you know, I, and I could kind of, and I listen, I wore the, I wore out listening to those when I was living separately from her on, on a different coast. 
And I could, I could look at those words that she wrote on the label and remember the track listing, the songs, riding up and down Highway 1 on the coast. I mean, it just all comes back from that mixtape. Wow. Is there one song? That jumps out. Oh gosh! I mean, it's it's a lot of like younger twenties melodrama, I'm sure. But there, there's this <laughs> band from Cincinnati, Ohio, um, called Over the Rhine, and they're they're kind of like a kind of an indie band. They're not very well known, but there's there's a song, "The World Can Wait," and it's just such a a stunning piece of art. But to hear that in a collection of other songs about love and longing and all the stuff we were going through at those moments, uh, that's the song that sticks out to me. And I know you have some songs that go with this book and you have a very musical family, it sounds like, in Carter Force 5. <laughs> Carter Force 5 is musically inclined. I, I, made, <laughs> I made sure of that, Jenny Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you always have a campfire group in tow ready to listen to you sing and play. Well, it's it's been my, I mean, I, I remember from our last conversation, your dad's an author and he he's you know he's published some pretty seminal work you know so it, it's got to be his total joy to see his daughter doing the same thing and following her path that way and that's try that's what i've been trying to approximate in my own house my my teenage daughter elliot she just turned 17 she's it's safe to say she is a rock star her band just graduated to main stages at fe- uh, at festivals here in wow. ohio they're opening a stage for kesha uh, next weekend. Wow. Yeah, these kids are 14 to 18 doing their damn thing. And, you know, we work on songs together. I've, I've coached the band. They're, they're, I call them my favorite coaching client. They're, the name of the band is <laughs> Detention. But these kids are just so coachable and so open. And my daughter's like the fierce little female lead singer who's uh wow yeah so but but it was always my dream to yeah to have like a, a family funk band and I, I still have some time to get the other kids up to speed <laughs> but like I, I want a family funk band is what I want I mean I can I can really see it now and if they have half the charisma that you do like I as you're saying this I'm picturing you at Camp GLP Jonathan Stephanie's wonderful summer production that is no longer Am I wrong? Didn't you wear a uniform onesie one of the I mean, sorry, a unicorn onesie on one of the days? Yeah, it was my it was my uniform and it was a unicorn onesie. It was (laughs) it was unicorn. I still wear these pants. They're yoga pants given uh, to me by one of the yoga instructors there. But yeah, they have unicorn pegasuses on them. And, um, you know, camp was like this incredible gift of a job that allowed me to fully express like what I call in the book, like permission to glow in the dark. It was just this unapologetic. These are all the things I know how to do. Teach meditation, be a musician, be an MC, try to wrangle people. You know, I, I'm sure I, and people have told me I terrified a lot of people too. Don't be, (laughs) don't get me wrong. Like they saw me coming in the parking lot and they're like, maybe I'll just go back to my car. (laughs) I just love that. I don't think any of us can picture JF doing that role, you know, so he kind of outsourced it to you and Amelia in in the best possible way. Like he gets to kind of be on the side a little more quiet. He's so profound when he is on stage telling stories. And then there's you in your unicorn uniform, just rocking it. And I was I was truly blown away. You even have a section in the book on unicorn symbology. And why? Why do you think it is that we are so obsessed with unicorns as adults? Uh, yeah, th- that's the one section of the book that on all these passes, we were talking just before it rolled, like you have to do all these passes with your editors and publisher to just, you know, kind of lock the manuscript. And every time I get to that part of the unicorn symbology, it is the part of the book that makes me weep. And the part of th- that makes me weep is that there's something Im- incredibly alluring about like an impossibly exotic beast. 
And I think that's what the draw to the unicorn is. And, and unicorns have kind of jumped the shark in our pop culture. You know, there's like this horrific Starbucks drink with all these purple, pink, foamy <laughs> oh chemicals gosh. and shit. It's so nasty. And like, and, and, you know, marketers are like, put a unicorn on anything and people will think it's fun or cute or little girls will like it or whatever. But I've met so many men in my coaching practice that, that, that vibe with the unicorn energy. And there's something kind of divine feminine about it. There's something, you know, this, the symbology I explain is that it connects us to our intuition, that when we're able to listen to our feelings and then guide ourselves by them, we tap into something deeper. And I think that's the part that kind of gets me emotional in that symbology piece is that when you're, you know, in, in yoga, we call it the kutasta shaitanya, that, that uh, third eye or the seat of concentration between the eyebrows. And that's where I picture the unicorn horn emanating from. It's like this 45 mm, degree angle wow. that, that points onward, upward, outward. It's like geometric expansion. And when you're able to, to quiet your mind and focus there and have your emotions direct you there, something incredibly powerful happens. You know, like this is, you know, what we talked about with you, you know, just listening to that intuition of, oh, here's this idea of free time. And like, look what's happening in your life as a result by following that intuition. That is so fascinating. I've never made that connection of the unicorn horn being at our third eye and being a, a projection of that third eye. Wow, that's so powerful. Well, well and, and this is the crazy part of my book journey was that all this symbology started showing up. You know, I had the pause button from Permission to Chill. The first meditation yes. program I ever launched was called The Pause. Permission to Glow in the Dark was obvious that it would be a lightning bolt. But the the unicorn was always such a huge part of my family. Like the uh, my, my grandfather founded the Long Island Nautical Heritage Society. And this boat, this is kind of fascinating. The boat that he commissioned to to kind of start this thing was this epic pirate ship. I mean, and, and it was called the Brig Unicorn. So when I was like three years old, my grandfather, who was like this epic individual, he had me hold this massive pirate ship wheel and steer this unicorn in Long Island Sound. <laughs> and and what's, what's crazy about this, I researched that book. That book became Jack's, or I'm sorry, I, I, re I researched that ship. That ship became Jack Sparrow's ship in Pirates of the Caribbean, and it mysteriously sunk after shooting three films. Like this, this what? ship had this incredible impact on modern pop culture through those films. And yeah, my grandfather rented it in like the seventies. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a trip, you know. But that is unbelievable. Yes, yeah, so like I wanted to include that. Like I knew no matter what, I had to make the unicorn fit in the framework. But I, it, not until did I start, you know, kind of meditating and writing on it, did I understand how it connected to feel the feels and that it was connected to that seat of concentration. And all, all these things get unlocked when you are willing to sit down and write something. Yes, that's so true. It's like you start writing and then the faucet opens a little wider and a little wider. It's like you get rewarded for sitting down. Oh, totally. And, and, and there's like half the time you're thinking, well, I'm totally insane. Nobody's going to get this. But then finally, after many edits and many, you know, testing of it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess this is how it works. You know, and it is refreshing to read a book about leadership and land on unicorn symbology. Like, thank goodness for you. Oh, my <laughs> for gosh. This book. And, and I do think that there's this mystical quality and a childlike joy and even the translucent colors. There's just something that breaks the pattern. And even the boat that you described your grandfather's boat. First of all, I can't believe unicorns in the name. I know. But it was also part of this epic adventure, this swashbuckling set of oh movies, my God. this yeah. you know, evocative, creative, 
enterprise. Yeah, I mean, the the purpose of the book, you know, for leadership, and this is something I really struggle with in my work is to take a spiritual conversation into corporate environments, like not everybody's open to that, you know, so I don't even this will be kind of the first time a lot of my clients really see and understand this language that I've been using kind of behind the scenes with them. But but then I have other clients who are like Gen Y millennial leaders. And one of my guys I've worked with Benji, I've worked with him for about three years every Friday. He said he gave me the best compliment on coaching. He's like, dude, it's like you give me guitar lessons every Friday and a guitar is this like 1980s keyboard that's kind of like a guitar. It's like, it's usually red. It's like a a dude standing out on the edge of the stage with a keyboard, (laughs) like around his waist. And I was like, I want the book to feel like that Gen X quality or like that 1980s aesthetic of, you know, some pop culture, a lot of sugar to help the medicine go down. Because let's face it, like leadership and personal transformation are extremely hard. Like it's, it's heavy work, it's shadow work. And I I just wanted it to feel a little bit more light and fun because, you know, most days it's anything but. Mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like divine fingerprint and what you just described of bringing fun and levity and spirituality into the business world is is part of your divine fingerprint and what makes you unique. We'll be right back just after this. Yeah, I mean, you you say in the book, you you ask, what is one quality you bring into any space? And I think that is such a powerful question. It is. Yeah, that's taken from uh, the amazing people at Accomplishment Coaching that helped train me. They're training my wife right now. Yeah, that that essence conversation. What shows up when I do? What do I bring into the space? And we think we know what that is, um, but we need people around us to really reflect back to us what that is. And what's come up for me so many times, like that you pointed to, that's actually kind of confronting for me, is people would say divinity. You bring divinity, and oh. and, uh, and and so like my survival mechanism always pipes in is like, who's this fool from the suburbs of Ohio that thinks he's bringing divinity into a? But but the the fact is when when I am able to just kind of be in that. Um, space with with the work or or the teachings or whatever it is I'm trying to impart, that other voice just kind of shuts the hell up. And then I realize like, oh yeah, it is it is kind of my interpretation of what it means to access spirit. And that's that's yoga, you know, that's union with spirit. And yeah, so I, I think like my crazy voice is like for for better or for worse, it's like, okay, you're gonna get a lot of like weird humor or pop culture with it. <laughs> See, this is what's so interesting. We You share the phrase, and I've said it before too, on this podcast of you can't read the label from inside the jar. Yeah, I wonder, exactly. what did you think your quality was? Like when I enter a room, the one thing I bring is, did you think it was something else? And then what you consistently heard from others is this quality of divinity. Yeah, well, I wanted to think it was like monster pecs and like, you know, incredibly <laughs> yeah. firm glutes. But right. no, it was anything but. I mean, radiant it's like charm. Radiant and, charm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I honestly thought it was levity and humor or whatever. And, and my, my teenage daughters, you know, keep me in my place with like, dad, you're all dad jokes. You're nowhere near as funny as you think you are. Um and the the thing that came back consistently was just like the spiritual quality of putting people at ease. And one of the things that, that I really kind of rely on from that essence exercise that my coach gave me was the word dynamism, that I'm, I'm willing to modulate between these different things. And, and I use humor as a pattern interrupt for people, or I'll use different things 
you know, different tools to kind of get people's attention in a different way, because most of us want to stay firmly lodged in what's comfortable for us. And my job as a coach, which can be very uncomfortable for me or for anybody, is to dislodge that comfort zone. Mm. And so I, so I use the humor for it. But yeah, it's not a primary trait at all. It's, it's just, you know, something in the toolbox. Yeah, I love, and I love how you distinguish too. You described what you were doing at, at Camp GLP as glowing in the dark, but you also you had a friend say it's there's also glowing in the light, and I actually yeah. feel like in those moments you're glowing in the light, which right. I don't know if you experience this in your own life or with your clients, but um, when you mentioned Gay Hendricks and the upper limit problem, yeah. but um, sometimes it's even scarier to glow in the light or to reach <sighs> for, or yeah. or in, I don't know, just to. I don't think people talk about very much that success can be scary or we can be scared of actually getting the things that we say we want. Oh God, I thought about you, first of all, as I was drafting so much of that glow in the dark, I, I was actually a third or fourth draft. I started adding all of this Gay Hendrix, um, the big leap stuff. And, and I remember you and I nerding out over that book. It's, I know it's one of yes. your favorite books too. And when I, when I first drafted the glow in the dark chapter, my editor basically said, we're not there yet. Like you haven't shown me what the darkness is. And I realized like, well, you know, glowing in the dark as it relates to, you know, something like camp, I was terrified before I went out on stage, like showing up in my, you know, pajamas or whatever, whatever I was in to, to give the effect, I would take, you know, a lot of social risk to do that. And I was mortified, but I knew because I was mortified that I had to do it. And that was just the fun part. Glowing in the light to distinguish it, is standing in the full power of others because you've done the work of standing in your own full power. So you are no longer threatened by the competition or the scarcity or what has this person done or, mm. or or what will they take from me? You're not thinking about these, you know, who's better or any of that. You're standing shoulder to shoulder. And and I think that that's hugely confronting. I mean, obviously, because we, we probably would be way further down that road of collaboration as a species if we were able to stand you know, kind of fully vulnerable in the full power of others without feeling threatened. Um, yeah. And I, I do think camp was that experience because everybody was so elevated and had permission to be themselves that you mm. felt like you were truly part of some sort of utopian kind of vibe. Yes, Yeah, that's true. And everyone who's attracted to the fields is like, are so heart centered and yeah, conscious like spiritual conscious friendly giving warms you're right it is this little utopian (laughs) well the thing the thing about jonathan fields is like he is he is like a true visionary yogi wise wise calm chill dude and he's very funny and very irreverent and very you know, tr- trusting to empower somebody like me or Amelia Zivotovskaya to to represent, you know, that that event. I mean, he wants people to have that heightened, joyful thing, yeah. and and I think that all of those things is what makes his experiences so so undeniably magical. Yes. So you're coming out with your first book, Permission to Glow. This is a very vulnerable process, and we are recording this before the book is officially out. Yeah. What's this like for you being at this cusp of such a vulnerable, I feel like book writing, you pour so much heart and energy and soul and spirit into it. Yeah. And of course, it is a co-creation with the universe, however you call it, the divine. Mm -hmm. And it's so friggin vulnerable. Like you are about to release your best ideas 
for for scrutiny, basically, or, or for joy. But tell us how yeah. you're feeling in this moment. Hold on, let me grab my barf bag. Yeah, I. <laughs> well, Su- Susan Piver, who's published like nine books. I mean, she's ended up on Oprah with some of her books. She's really done the publishing thing, and she told me last week she's like having a new book come out is like walking around stark naked and asking people, so what do you think? You know, what do you think of my dad yes. bod? What do you think of my... Sp- it's like putting your mind out stark naked. It, yeah. it is. Like, what do you think? It, yeah. So and, true. And, and one of the things I, I talk about at the, towards the end of the book is is like this uh, this model of conscious competence, that if we want to move into like being competent in, some, in something, in my case, this is like, eventually I want to be a competent author. And I want that to be unconsciously competent. I just want it to be what I do, right? But this first book is like crossing the desert of conscious incompetence, like where I know it's new. I know I've put a ton of work into it. And I also know very clearly how much I don't know. And um, But yeah, it comes up every single day. I mean, I, I go into like disaster mode, but then I come into unquestionable knowing all of my power and being very grateful mode. So yeah, it just shows up as me being increasingly erratic around my family sometimes, <laughs> uh, just all this vulnerability. And I, and I think it's that fear of, you know, what are people going to do when they see, you know, who I really am, quote unquote, or or the language I really use when I write. Um, yeah, it's it's vulnerable, but it's also, you know, exciting. I mean, Melissa Bernstein, I, I recently interviewed her. She's the founder of Melissa and Doug Toys. She's a really brilliant woman, and she she coins all the, she's coins all these word mashups, and the one that she uses is nervited, like nervous and excited, or exilified, which is excited and exhilarating and terrifying. I mean, it's it's literally both of those things: nerviting and exilifying. And it's almost like, of course, they come together. They're two sides of the same coin. Right. We wouldn't be so excited and fulfilled and energized if it wasn't also simultaneously so vulnerable and terrifying. Yeah, like I'm I'm just glad it's not a. Uh, I'm glad it's not a memoir, so I don't have to like proactively oh apologize to like family members oh for how I remember things. I don't have the stomach for that. No. Y- yeah, yeah, but I, <laughs> but I do. I do start anticipating. Well, you know what happens when I do butt up against butt heads with people who just don't want to be connected to or believe in spirit, and I'm fine with that. Like I, I bump into those people all the time, but to do it publicly or in you know review forums or whatever, I don't know what that's going to be like until I until I'm yeah. there. Well. One of my one stars on my first book, they said, if you've never thought about anything ever, this book is for you. <laughs> I'm sorry I typed that, Jenny, but I was just really feeling it at the time. No, I'm just kidding. You were having a bad day. <laughs> I was just having yeah. a bad day. Oh my Isn't God. it funny? It's like, don't, don't you? Have, I don't know if you have this, but I have like this one star reviewer committee that kind of sits next to me while I'm writing and they go, ooh that sentence is going to be your one star right there. Or like, ooh, I'm going to use that one. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't get in the way anymore. But I just go, okay, I have 350 pages. And in my case, 80,000 words, which ones are they going to pick apart and rip to shreds, if not the whole thing? Oh, my gosh. Like, I, Uh, uh, I have these, uh, these Indian devotees of Yogananda. So I'm a devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda. And and I've given a few public talks about Yogananda's work. And I'm really proud of those. I put a lot of work into them. And I thought at the time, at least, very good intention into representing the master's work in an authentic way, in an unbiased way. But there's a group of devotees in India that will just comment anytime on YouTube, like anytime I, you know, if I refer to myself as a yogi, I thought that was somebody who practices yoga. I didn't 
call myself or intend to call myself like a highly enlightened person or anything like that. Right, or a guru. Totally. But but people yeah. people will project onto you, you know, like the, the the more you share your ideas, you become a screen for others to project their ideas onto yeah. you. And and I think that that can be triggering with somebody. And I think it's probably a good thing at the end of the day, if you're out in the world doing something that's triggering other people, um, it doesn't make it like, I want to be loved like anybody else. Like it, it hurts for a minute, but at the same time, it's like, it's probably part of the process is to mix it up a little bit. I've never heard it put that way, that the more public, the more ideas you put out, you become a screen for the projections. That is so powerful as a metaphor. It's like, I just see it. It's almost like you become the walking screen that they would roll down in a movie theater and yeah. more and more people see you to project their movies. God. That's a fascinating way to think about it. Well, what's what's interesting, one of my one of my teachers, Alice Bandy, uh, who's in, in an incredibly gifted, intuitive and clairvoyant. I mean, she really saw a past, present, future. She was the real deal. And she she would lead, she probably led like 40 or 50 retreats in her life so that when we were partnering to lead my first retreat, I had her in to be a teacher. And she kind of gave me all these advanced lessons before I welcome these people into my home. She's basically like, you love these people. They love you. That's why they're here. And they, they, we all want to find the flaws of all of our teachers, you know? So just know that whatever they project onto you, it's not about you, you know? And just remember that. And I remember trying to take that to heart because I, I've had people come in and out of my either teachings or coaching practice or whatever that at some point they they may decide that I'm a threat or a mortal enemy or something. And and that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's their thing to work out. Um, I, I can try my best to love them on the way in and on the way out. But I, but the, yeah, that projection thing is real. And, and I try to, um, I try to notice it when I'm doing it to other people. You know, there's always people we envy or appreciate. And sometimes that line gets blurred. And, um, but yeah, that's that screen thing has come up uh, a few different times. Yeah, and that's so true. It's 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 easy to forget in the moment when you feel so attacked or feel bad. Like, oh no, what did I do wrong? I always have that thought. Of, like, oh, Am totally. I in trouble? Yeah, what did I, I do wrong? I, I did this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always like, and that's that's we talked about this in our previous podcast. I think we talked about codependent tendencies, but where it's like let me do all the backflips to make sure everyone around me is happy and doing okay and to be constantly monitoring the room. And yeah. And then if anyone is the slightest upset, it's like, what did I do wrong? And just, oh, it's 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 hard. It <laughs> is. I mean, remember. especially, yeah, if you, if you uh, I'm an Enneagram 7 and we're, we're really well known for this. It's like over-processing, overly concerned with what everybody's thinking at all times, whether it's about us or not, but even more so if it's about us. And, and it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd rather yes. just try to, you know, meet people where they are and let them be in their process. And if, if they want to be pissed at me or, or you know, think I'm this or think I'm that, that's cool. You know, it, it's yeah. sometimes it still really bugs the crap out of me, but, but other times it's like, okay, I have other things I have to be focused right. on. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, let's move into our rapid fire round. Yeah just a couple minutes. First question, you and Gail have been married for 22 glorious years. What is one relationship lesson learned? I won't even call it a tip because everyone's different. But what is one word of wisdom you would give to listeners? Be a warrior for your partner's growth. Oh, I love that. What is a favorite business book that you've read recently? Business book that I've read. Uh, Every book is a startup by Todd Satterston. Oh, cool. And what's one of your favorite books of all time? I always have to say Autobiography of a Yogi because it is is my number. Every time you read it, it's a different book. So I'm talking about Autobiography of a Yogi on the 15th reading. That's my favorite book. 
Wow. Isn't it wild to reread a book that many times and you have changed so much between every reading and then you pick up things you never even saw? Oh, yeah. Things, the, that, like things, the that, level made me, of- things that made me laugh the first time make me cry other times and vice versa. It is just such a deep experience with that book. It's a trip. Yes. And then it tracks. There are certain business books like that um, where... I just couldn't have grokked half the stuff the first time around yeah. without the experience. And you're reminding me, I need to reread Autobiography of a Yogi. Oh, yeah. I'm I'll only, s- only one time in. Yeah, I'll send you. They, they just released this class for the 75th uh, to coincide with the 75th anniversary of the book. That is just an, the best hour of them setting the frame and the context, the cultural wow. context in which it was written and what it's become over the decades. I, I think you'd really appreciate it. And it would... It would it would yes. get you excited about a second read. Send that to us. I'll put it in the show notes for this as well for listeners sure who want that, as well as the font that generated the gorgeous ampersand <laughs> so in the italics of your book. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have I'll, two pieces of homework, I'll, Casey. I'll, I'll Don't dig, forget. I'll dig it up. I asked him before we hit record, I said, Casey, what is this font? That's the most beautiful ampersand. My heart leapt. I'm like, my heart started fluttering when I saw it. It's in the italics of the notes in the back of his book. And so that's his homework. So, so this is one of the things in a microcosm of what I love about Jenny Blake so much is that I consider myself a big nerd about certain things like the band Rush, for instance. I'm a total nerd. Like my favorite <laughs> podcast is the Rush fan cast. But the... Uh, when you, so a- when you asked me about that ampersand, I had to go look it up and understand what you were even saying. And then I was like, oh, but I totally see why you're obsessed with it. So yeah. Yeah, like, but it is exquisite. Nerd Maste, Jenny Blake. <laughs> nerd Maste. Nerd Maste. Oh my gosh, that's the best phrase. <sighs> that's a KCism right there. <laughs> why isn't that in the book? You got to end the book with Nerd Maste. Uh, nerd Maste. Oh my gosh. Okay. Last question, if you could write a permission slip, which I know permission, you have the four permissions, it's like so perfectly parallel. You could give listeners a permission slip as they run their businesses, what would it be? Permission to breathe, there's time. Mm. So good. I love that. Thank you, Casey. This has been a real treat. Mm. I love this permission to breathe. I love your new book. Listeners, if you haven't gotten your copy yet, it's called Permission to Glow, A Spiritual Guide to Epic Leadership. Casey, where else do you want to send people? Uh, PermissionToGlowBook.com is probably the best place. We're putting together some ridiculous pre-order packages with socks and posters and unicorn stickers and all sorts of fun pop culture crap. Um, but, but this is what I love about our conversations that we covered mixtapes and unicorns in the same conversation. I think our work is done here. Absolutely. And ampersands, we're done. <laughs> we're done. We're done. An autobiography of a yogi. We worked that in. I mean, done. Check, check, check. Yeah. I want you, <laughs> I want you to travel with me and just be the MC for my life, Jenny Blake. Can like, I? You, That's like something I love so much is not, I mean, I can't be at KC level of MC. I'm I don't know about more, that. more like relaxed, but I would love to just interview you on all your stages. That's what I would do. Um, let's do it. And I have this <laughs> other weird vision of us going roller skating and eating nachos together. Can I we please? Well, what, I love roller skating and roller blading, even though it's not very cool to say that, but I friggin' love it. All right, let's do it. We're going to make it happen. Yes. Let's eat nachos rollerblading down the West Side Highway. Or we'll rollerblade down or roller skate all the way down. There's a Mexican restaurant in Battery Park City. You can sit outside. We'll we'll have celebratory nachos. All right. I'm doing this on my book tour. I'm riding my motorcycle out there. We're going to do this around September 25th. We're going to do this. Done. I'm there. Yes. Count me in. Yes. Amazing. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. I hope this is the first of many more conversations for free time. Casey, you're the best. Thank you for being here. And thanks, everybody, for listening.
Thanks so much, Jenny. If you've listened this far, you get a gold star. Thank you. Word of mouth is the most joyful way we can grow this show, and it helps us land interviews with the luminaries and insightful guests that you would most love to hear from. Please send this episode to a friend who might find it helpful. And for show notes and related links from this episode, visit itsfreetime.com. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the Time Well Spent newsletter. You'll get instant access to my tech toolkit, a continually updated list of all the software I use, along with the total monthly spend to run my business, where no one works full-time, even me. Visit itsfreetime.com slash join. Remember, you are running the show. It's time for radical reimagining and everything is up for grabs. Let it be easy. Let it be fun and build with love.